Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, we chat with experts, athletes, coaches and authors to educate and inspire you. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. Today on the show, I chat with Dr. Sue Jackson, psychologist and expert in flow. She co-authored the book Flow in Sports, The Keys to Optimal Experiences and Performances with flow pioneer Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I feel like anyone involved in sport needs to read this book. But the other thing is, flow is not just limited to people playing in sport. You can experience flow in any type of activity. So if you can experience a sense of joy and engagement and focus and, well, flow, then why not practice getting into flow? Here's a quote that I loved from the book. Once the keys to flow are understood, it becomes possible to transform the entirety of life from a stressful and chaotic chase into something resembling an enjoyable dance. I love that so much. And if that hasn't convinced you to learn about flow and how to get into flow, then maybe this one will. Flow lifts experience from the ordinary to the optimal. And it is in those moments that we truly feel alive and in tune with what we are doing. And on that note, let's get into flow with Dr. Sue Jackson. Sue, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm very excited to talk about flow. And if I'm honest, it's actually a state or term that um, I only came across this year. And because of my love for sport, I came across Mm -hmm. your book, Flow in Sports, The Keys to Optimal Experiences and Performances, uh, which you co-wrote with Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I hope I said that right. Well done. Most people don't get it right first time. Um, And I loved the book and I really, I honestly think anyone who's involved in sports and, you know, wants to improve their performance and and potential, I I think it's one that's to be read. So I'm super excited. So thank you for joining me. And uh, to kick this off, if you could give us some background on you and what led you to your work in flow. Yeah, thanks, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be on uh, your podcast and um, I hope that listeners will enjoy hearing about flow and and that it will motivate them as it motivated you when you learned about it uh, to explore it more in their own lives. And my book, Flow in Sports, was obviously directed at athletes and coaches. And so for those listeners, um, flow is is, um, something that sport facilitates in many ways, although not always. And flow is also something that's not just reserved for sports, so it can be experienced in any setting. It's, it's got relevance to all of us. And what led me to um, study flow? I did a combined psychology, human movement degree, and had a love of sport and um, was involved in teaching physical education and coaching sport to begin with in Sydney, where I'm from. 
and then I decided to um, take my interest in the mental side of sport into postgrad degrees in sports psychology. And at the time, North America was and probably still remains a leading source of um, academic programs to, to train in. So I went across to the States and I guess it was from doing that. And I was at the University of Illinois for my master's degree and Chick Sent Me High was at the University of Chicago, which is a three hour drive between those two places. And I stumbled across his book, his first book on flow, which is called Beyond Boredom and Anxiety. And hopefully as I talk more about flow and the model of flow will become clear what that title means. And I read that book and it was the first time I understood that there's actually a psychological state that has research behind it that describes those times that I would treasure as my uh, most special moments for me, mostly in sport, but also I had and still have a love of reading and writing. And um, just to illustrate that, it's not just reserved for, for sporting um, situations, this state. And, um, and so then I was like, oh, wow. So this is something that um, has a, a research base to it. And that I was trying to decide what I was going to do for my master's thesis at that time for my master's research. So I decided to, I was looking already at motivation in athletes and I added in flow and that's kind of got me started and I found the aspects about talking to athletes so part of my research was qualitative interviews and I found that talking to athletes about their flow experiences was really rewarding and that they found it really rewarding which for a research participant for them to actually find the research rewarding to do is is a bonus so then I decided that would be the focus for my PhD and I went on and did a PhD that was an entirely qualitatively based um, PhD, looking at in depth the flow experience in athletes. And then that led to um, subsequently down the track, um, writing the book Flow in Sports with Chick Sent Me High. And for anyone who's listening and wondering, how to spell that name. I don't know. Do, do you want to have a go at that, Jackie? It's, it's not you... how it's... <laughs> I've it's got the book in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Mihai is actually spelt M-I-H-A-L-Y. Chiksemihai is C-S-I-K-S-Z-E-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y-I. Very good. And Mihai, so that people um, might feel a little bit more connected, uh, translates from Hungarian to English as Mike. So I call him Mike. All this time. All this time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, other people that just can't get their mouth around Chicks and Mihai call him Dr. C. It's well worth looking up that name. Uh, everything he's written is... Just powerful stuff, um, a very insightful and uh, someone that has both a, a very uh, much a breadth of thinking and analysis and insights and also the ability um, to go deep into experiences. And he's written a number of, of really good books in different settings as well of flow. So for me, it was, it was a wonderful opportunity to be mentored by him as I was learning about flow and then 
researching about flow. Yeah, that would have been so exciting. Mm. So do tell what is flow? What is flow? We won't keep it a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Flow is a state of optimal focus on a task, on the task that you're doing at a particular time. And then beyond that complete concentration, it's also associated with many other characteristics or qualities of experience. And the highlights are that uh, we tend to really enjoy what we're doing when we get absorbed in something, in that we can let go of our worries and our self-concerns. And it's also associated with performing optimally. So the, it's a state of total focus in which we feel at our best and we tend to perform at our best as well. Awesome. Yeah. And the most important, how do you experience flow? (laughs) Yeah, well, um, that one. (laughs) It's easy, right? Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we won't need to spend much time on that. It's, (laughs) yes, we would. Um, It's, that's the important question, of course, and it's, it's something that I can give some, some insights into. And, and I think that to, to really learn about how to experience flow would take um, someone committing some time and, and getting involved with um, some consulting with someone about their own situation and, and um, understanding that and what psychological skills would be most relevant to them. But there are some, from research um, of the model of flow, there are, there are three preconditions they're called to flow. And so these things need to be in place for flow to be experienced. And the first is that there's a balance between challenges and skills. And that if anyone wants to look up the model of flow, that is, that's a four quadrant and the eight quadrant model of flow. And that's where the title of the book beyond boredom and anxiety comes from. So if you think of a four quadrant model, so if you just think of a vertical axis and a horizontal axis, you've got four squares. Um, Flow is one quadrant. Anxiety is another quadrant. Boredom is a quadrant and apathy is a quadrant. And so flow exists beyond the experiences of anxiety and boredom. And that is all defined by the relationship of challenges and skills. To be in flow, you need to be in a challenging situation that you bring a high skill set to. So you need to have both challenges and skills high. So those two axes I talked about, the vertical axis is generally the the challenge axis from low to high. And then the skills axis is the horizontal axis that need to sex it again from low to high. So it's when you've got both skills operating at a high level and a high level of challenge that flow can be experienced. Sometimes if we look at opposite experiences such as anxiety, which most of us can relate to if we can't yet relate to flow or we can't sort of pinpoint times we've been in flow. Few of us would not be able to relate to times we've been anxious. So anxiety, according to this model of experience, would occur when you're in a challenging situation without the necessary skill set to meet the challenge. And often, particularly if we're talking about high performers, it's not the objective skills so much as your perception of skills. That is, do you believe that you have the skills to meet the challenge? 
So it's, it's one thing to have the skills, but if you don't believe that you have the skills or you're engaged in self-doubt, then that's going to lead you to anxiety. Whereas if you can trust in that skill set, then you've got that potential for flow. And then conversely, boredom occurs when your skills outweigh the challenge. So it's no good always being in a situation when you, where you're going to be successful and there's not a challenge to uh, balance up um, your developing skills because then we get bored and motivation suffers. So can beginners be get into flow if they're, if they're acquiring a skill? It's uh, going to be a more challenging yeah. um, time to get into flow um, until you've got some base level of skill. However, the good thing, particularly in physical activity and sports settings, is that we can generally, as you would know, like you can generally modify a challenge. So like as a PT, if you're working with a client that's a non-exerciser or has an injury, you modify what you're asking them to do so that the level of challenge meets their skill set. Yeah. So it's about getting that balance. So it's not out of the question that, that a beginner can experience flow. I think you've just answered my next question, okay. but I'll, I'll, I'll ask it anyway to see if you've got anything to add to it. Mm. How do we manage the ratio of skills to challenge? Well, again, I think it's, it's a very positive um, um, practical model because you can develop skills through practice um, and when we're talking about skills I'm as a psychologist talking about psychological skills and if it's a physical task then you need the physical skills if it's got a technical component you need the technical skills um, to any component any task that you do that involves challenge there's a mental component there you've got to be able to put your attention on the task and sustain your attention on the task and not get distracted and that's no easy easy ask for us in in the lives that we live that are so full of distractions and distractibility and you know different things pulling for our attention all the time um very much technologically driven lives that mean staying focused on just one thing becomes more difficult um however we can train ourselves to be better at that so yes we can modify our skills for sure we can always do something with our skills. We can also do something about if we're lacking confidence or self-belief or an ability to trust ourselves in challenging situations, we can work on that, work on developing psychological skills there. And then the challenge, as I've just mentioned, we can modify that. And if you're already a high performer, it's having an openness to continually wanting to extend challenge and not to the point where you go and drop into anxiety all the time, but you've got to get that, that balance right. And I remember interviewing a figure skater and they're talking about like, it's, it's such a fine line. And, and as a, um, a skater, they were talking about the blade of their, their skate and how, you know, you, you, to skate effectively, um, you have to, to keep right on the blade and you can tip easily one way or the other. And it was kind of like you could tip into anxiety or you could tip into to boredom. Um, and so it's, it is a fine line. Um, and it's not an easy state to achieve. However, it's one that with training, just like training anything, we get better at it. Yeah, so we can learn to get into flow. Yes, we can. Awesome. If we and have the ability, sorry, if we no, have the ability to pay attention 
you know, if, if someone yeah. has an attentional deficit um, uh, or disorder, then and they can't sustain attention on a task, then and they still most people can train to be better at that. So yeah, as long as we can focus our attention to some degree, we have that potential to experience flow. Yeah. And so I guess it's like with anything, the more you practice it, the the better you'll get at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. And, and the longer you can experience it, like how long could you typically experience flow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in my research, um, I found that it was very much dependent on what you're doing. So you're a hundred meter sprinter, yeah. and you're in flow for that time, it's not going to be very long. <laughs> yeah. um, however, if you're a marathon runner, then that time in flow can be, be much longer. However, the likelihood that you'll be in flow for a whole marathon or, you know, a whole endurance event is, is low for most of us. I, I do remember um, one example of, of someone who um, recalled being in flow for an entire um, marathon run at the end of a triathlon. So she's actually a world champion triathlete. And, and she, as the, um, the leader going into the run, the motorbike camera was on her the whole run. And, and she didn't realize until watching the televised event that there was this um, motorbike camera on her for the entire marathon. Wow. Yeah. She's just like, so focused on the run on, on the next step and, and so on. Incredible. Yeah. So can we, let's talk about feedback for a second. Cause mm. I, I, when I got to this part in your book, I'm like, so good. And there are so many types of feedback. So, you know, you, you state that your own body is feedback and um, the coach can give you feedback, mm. your teammates, spectators, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then ec- external equipment, whether you're, you know, a bat, ball, um, goggles, whatever it is. So how can we use this feedback to, I guess, enhance our flow or get into flow and even, um, I guess, not distract us? Mm, yeah, that's, that's really good questions. And um, I didn't get around to mentioning there's three preconditions to flow. And one of them is the challenge skill balance. Uh, another one is clear goals. And the third one is the feedback. So that's like a precondition is that you're able to receive feedback. Cause if you don't know how you're going, you know, it's like, you'll, you'll eventually start to question, am I going okay here? Yeah. You know, if you're not getting any feedback, like you're a uni student doing an assignment and it's a big assignment or you're giving a presentation and you either can't see the audience, like they're all blacked out or they're totally quiet or you're not getting any feedback at all, then self-doubts will inevitably start to, to yeah. come into play and therefore feedback is so important. Um, so receiving the feedback and then being able to, take it on board without getting caught up in evaluation and judgments and so on, which is quite challenging again. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> easier to do than, than yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you mentioned goals. Yes. So clear goals, um, having a clear purpose, um, which all of these three preconditions, challenge your balance, clear goals and unambiguous feedback. If we think about them, they are 
characteristics that are inbuilt into sport and structured exercise. And that's why these environments can be so conducive to experiencing flow. You know, we, we have clearly set challenges and fairly clearly defined skills that need to be developed to meet the challenge in, in a sport, any sport. Um, we, we can set clear goals um, and then we can also know when we are achieving them yeah. and have achieved them. And, and the nature of physical movement means that there can be many sources of feedback. So from our body, from our breathing, from the rhythm of what we're doing or uh, if we lose that rhythm. Um, and then there's also the external um, sources of feedback. So it, it is, um, it's an environment that, happens to be structured to facilitate flow in those ways doesn't mean it's easy to achieve flow, but there are some positives that make it um, conducive to experience flow. Yeah. And I guess when we talk again about the feedback, it's, uh, it's about understanding how to use that feedback Mm. and uh, without judgment. That's the thing. And so that leads to an area that, um, is very relevant for understanding flow and that's mindfulness. So for me, mindfulness is a great pathway to develop more potential to experience flow. Uh, as you're probably aware, the definition of mindfulness includes that you're paying attention non-judgmentally. Therefore, if we're developing an ability to pay attention in the present, which is another aspect of being mindful, and we're learning to suspend judgment, then we're getting ourselves more flow ready. Yeah. Well, this, this is a nice segue because I was going <laughs> to, I was going to ask how can we use other practices mm-hmm. like yeah, mindfulness, yeah. meditation, even yoga mm-hmm. to uh, help us to get into states of flow. Yeah. And all of those are, are really good. So mindfulness um, is a way of attentional training and a way that helps us to learn to be more in the present moment. So we're not going to get into flow if we're thinking about the error that, that we made or the teammate made, or we're worried about what the outcome will be. We're, you know, that's not the place where we're going to find flow. Mindfulness helps us to be aware when we're not in the present so that then with that awareness, we then have the choice. We can choose to stay in this interesting past or future scenario, or we can come back to the present so mindfulness is really valuable and the, the formal practice of mindfulness, often called meditation. Yoga, um, that's something that I certainly enjoy doing and, and have found flow experience in. And in one of his books, uh, his book, 1990, entitled Flow, High refers to yoga as a thoroughly planned flow activity. And that just like sport, but, but I guess taking away that competitive aspect um, that most yoga practices don't have a competitive aspect. So, you know, having that can be both helpful and, and make it more unlikely to experience flow. So in yoga, the, the purpose is to connect with the present moment and to have the body and mind working together and, and, um, and to experience um, freedom and enjoyment in the movement. So um, these are some of the ways that, that yoga is, is facilitative of flow as well. Yeah. Great. I, um, I really love the chapter 
in your book on um, controlling the controllables? Because, I mean, obviously that's, that's a big one in life in general. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you mentioned in there, you know, feeling invincible. It's important to exercise control in an uncertain state or challenge, which enhances the self. So how do we learn to train ourselves to get good at controlling our responses? Um, is that, is that a byproduct of flow or learning to get into flow or is it like the other way around um, learning how to control that response will help us get into flow? Yeah. The, the relationship between control and, and, and flow is an interesting one. And in the, I referred to the four in the eight quadrant model of flow. So the in the eight quadrant model of flow in between flow and boredom, there's a couple of other states and the first one is control. And then the one after control is relaxation and the one after relaxation is boredom. So it's kind of like this circular um, sequence that's all related to the relative balance of challenges and skills. So when we're in a state of control, which most humans love to feel in control, our skills and our challenges are both high, but the skills outweigh the challenge. So it's different to being in flow where it's more in the extending the challenge. Uh, so it's more being able to step out into that uncertainty. And how do we experience control in that situation by controlling the controllables, which is focusing on what we're doing and letting go of the, the non-controllables. So when we're in flow, we feel like we're in control, but our goal isn't to be in control. The goal is to be focused on the task and then being in control or feeling like you're in control can be one of the experiences that you have. But if you're controlling everything, you know, to the nth degree, then that's, that's a different state to flow. Does that make sense? I think so. Yes. Um, It's, it's actually interesting. Um, Csikszentmihalyi first called it's a dimension of flow called sense of control he first called it the paradox of control. Yeah. Okay. Just, just to highlight the fact that it's a paradoxical way of thinking about control. Yeah. Not being in control is in control. Not seeking to control. Ah. And not worrying about not being in control. Ah, okay, great. Does that make yeah. more sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, sure. it's, it's a little bit, um, uh, I guess not what we expect. Yeah. Cause I, we're, we're always want, we always feel like the more we're in control of a situation, the better we're going to perform. And yes, but if we, if, if our goal becomes to be in control, that leads us to a different experience than if our goal is to be open to the experience of flow. Yeah. And it can potentially even lead, lead to anxiety. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's, that's fantastic. It, it brings I guess maybe a sense of peace within that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Letting go of the worry about being in control. And, and that, if you think about another way of describing that is trusting yourself. Yes. Yeah. And your skills and your ability mm-hmm. to perform that task. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And we get better at that. We can train that. By just doing it like just doing uh, said tasks and skills over and over? 
That would be one thing, but if we're doing that task over and over, always doubting ourselves or letting worry come into it, we're training ourselves to, worry. to not trust ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So there's got to be the training of the mind um, component as well. How do we do that? How I knew that was coming next. <laughs> you led me there. I'm just diving into it. Yeah. Um, that is that is an interesting one. And I don't think there's a simple answer to that because it probably requires unpacking the reasons that someone might not trust mm. themselves. Yeah. And, and some of those you can do something about and, and some of those things are harder to influence. So there might be that you had a traumatic experience mm. doing something um, or being involved in something and, and that haunts you, you know, in terms of your ability to trust and, and that might be in relationship to people, for example. Um, so there, there are some, there's going to be some more tricky ones, but we can still work through those. That's what, you know, psychology would, would be the aim would be to help the person work through that. Um, but assuming there's not some trauma, um, we often don't trust ourselves because we get caught up in evaluation and we're, we're our own critics. So if someone's a high achiever, they tend to be very self-critical and can be perfectionistic, for example, and perfectionism, if you have that as, your trait or your way of approaching things that will make it difficult to get into flow because there'll be this it's never quite good enough um, attitude that it's kind of like steering you. And um, in terms of learning to trust ourselves, if we, we can modify the situation so that we experience success. So if we're, if we're simply lacking confidence that we've got the skill to meet the challenge, then we modify, you know, as a teacher, as an instructor, as a coach, we modify uh, to allow success to be achieved because success is, is a great one for building that self-confidence is to achieve success, uh, which makes sense. You know, if you've, you have some friends, they've achieved success in, in a particular area, sport or music or a business, they've achieved success, they're more likely to trust themselves than someone that's not. Um, and, uh, and so structuring situations to enable success to be attained can help build trust. Um, and just noticing when we're getting caught up in evaluations and learning to let them go yeah. and come back to focusing on the task. So that's very much what mindfulness is about, yeah. which why, again, I think mindfulness is a really useful pathway if we're wanting to be able to get into flow. Yeah, absolutely. And then for athletes, particularly professional athletes, elite athletes, you've got others' evaluations. And so when I'm talking about professional athletes, for example, there's the, very much a public um, evaluation that's going on constantly, and that's athletes and coaches. And, um, and so learning to filter that and not, not get caught up in that is important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Media can be unkind. People can be unkind. So uh, make sure you're getting the, the right feedback, mm, that's the important it. people and the people that yeah. care about you. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I, I feel like we've covered some of this, but I'll, I'll mm-hmm. ask it anyway and see if you've got anything to add. Mm-hmm. What can inhibit our chances of, of getting into flow? Mm-hmm. And once we're in flow, can mm-hmm. distract our flow? Yeah, those happen to have been two of the questions in my PhD. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I asked elite athletes across several sports um, what helps them to get into flow, what prevents them from getting into flow and what disrupts flow once they're in flow. Uh, so there, there was a number of factors. Like There was a lot of data and with qualitative data, you've, you've got words, you know, a lot of things that, that people say that then you put themes together and so on. And, and so just some of the themes that prevented flow, for example, uh, were lacking motivation. So if, if, you, if you didn't have the goals, you didn't have that desire that that would make it difficult to get into flow. I guess it's about getting that challenge skill balance right. And then related to that, if you didn't have the right level of arousal, so that like if you're overly anxious or conversely you're too chill and and you need to have a little bit more energy for what you're doing, so it's about getting that balance right. Um, If your pre-competitive preparation um, didn't go well, whether that's physical readiness or some technical issues that are happening so that you're going to not be trusting yourself so much. So you, you feel like you get to the start line at the start of the game and um, you haven't had uh, the preparation that will allow you to, to trust. So those are some examples um, of preventing. Um, once in flow, it was mostly situations that elite athletes would perceive were beyond their control that would disrupt flow. So that might be non-optimal environmental or situational conditions and environmental being, you know, the weather or um, something of the physical environment. Situational can be the interactions that you have with significant others um, uh, that, are at the event, say, and that, that can then be non-significant people as well, such as the public and the media and the opposition and, and so on, or your own teammates. So there's, there's a lot of things that if you're in a team sport that can make that um, flow experience uh, one that can be easily disrupted. So like some sports are going to make it easier for one to get into and stay into flow and they tend to be those ones of a continuous nature where you're in control of what you're doing, you know, a runner or a swimmer or cyclist, for example. Um, Whereas if you're in a interactive sport and that sport involves others, then there's more factors that are going to have to be taken into consideration. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, something again, coming back to the controllables and certainly Mm -hmm. The weather, for example, is completely out of our control. Yes. Um, you know, for someone racing, whether it's running or riding, and the weather is not great, is that does that come down to a mindset thing? How we prepare our mind to to uh, react to that, so to speak? I think that's definitely an important part. There's also a physical part, so training in those conditions so that you're yeah. used to them. So like, for example, if you're on a bike, it's, it's really important that you, you feel safe mm. when you're going downhill very quickly in the wet yeah. um, and you know how to um, manoeuvre the bike. Um, 
However, you can have that physical skill and the technical skill, but, um, but still you just don't like it, you, you know, or you're going to get caught up in complaining about it or evaluating it or how you're not going to get your best time because it's raining and, and so on. And, um, and so, yeah, these sort of things, they're not within our control and therefore um, w- w- it is about being able to control where you put your attention. Do you put your attention on, on the fact that, um, this is going to be a slow race and, and you can hardly, if you're running and your shoes are wet, but you can hardly pick your feet up. Um, is that going to become your focus? Are you going to feel like you're plodding or are you going to focus on what helps you to, um, have quick feet and, and move fast? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is a silly question because <laughs> I feel like flow is an individual thing, but as a sporting team, can you experience the flow state together as a team or is it just an individual thing? Yeah, it's another really good question. And it's kind of um, an ongoing area of research. And just to say in terms of researching a state, that's a subjective experience. Mm. It's not an easy thing to research. Absolutely. Not an easy thing to research. (laughs) We are starting to get technology that allows us to look at, physiologically what's going on so heart rate what sort of brain activity is going on to understand that um so we can look at things more than people's recall subjective recall um which has its limitations but you know it's at least one way of accessing information so people are looking at um individual versus group flow or team flow and And I did in my PhD, for example, I interviewed both individual sport athletes and team sport athletes. And I, and some of those athletes actually competed as individuals and in team events. So cyclists and rowers, for example, would have uh, track cyclists um, had individual events and team events and same with rowing. And so then I was able to tap into, okay, so we've talked about your flow experience. Is it different um, when it's individual versus when it's a team situation. And I found two factors came through in terms of, uh, well, a couple of things. It's more difficult to achieve flow in a team than an individual, which makes sense. And a couple of factors needed to be present to enable a team or group to, to experience flow simultaneously. And that is the, how well the team was performing. So that's about that challenge skill balance. So performing to a high level, and continuing to sort of extend themselves. And then how well were the social interactions going? So that was interesting that, you know, you could be performing really well, but there's like really poor communication um, or there's negative vibes amongst teammates, you know, those sort of things can, as you know, in any communication, if there's there's tension there or there's negativity, it's going to detract. So those sort of things um, are important to address. And another thing, just to answer your question, is that um, if athletes are fam- or anyone is familiar with flow, my, in my experience, they tend to report if they've experienced it in a group or team situation, that's like an even more positive experience than in an individual setting because so many more factors have to be working together to get that synchronicity mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a team situation. And when it does, you know, that's just an incredible high um, experience. And, you know, we can see that we can see moments of play 
in teams where they're just like the timing is perfect and and it's like you know that they're not going to make an error and um they might just be little pieces of time of the game but um you you know we can probably if people that like to watch sport you probably can recall when someone or a team has performed really well you know it's just got that special aspect to it and that special aspect might be that the team or the individuals in flow yeah absolutely things just seem they all just seem to be in sync with each other that's it yeah that synchronicity yeah yeah amazing yeah that's right um why should you experience or want to experience flow i think of one good reason myself can you (laughs) (laughs) i know that's the thing isn't it i was looking at that question i'm like well duh (laughs) (laughs) okay so two, two two good reasons uh well no there's a few good reasons why flow is important and chicks and me high has written about some of these um that i'll get to in a minute but if you're interested in high performance if you're interested in performing well then here's your optimal psychological state that facilitates it if you want to have enjoyment or more enjoyment in what you're doing experience flow and that's like it's such fun to be in flow and that that then can become a motivator so like for people that are exercises or reluctant exercises if they can experience flow, even little bits of it from time to time, that can be a draw card to, oh, actually I'm going to get up for morning training in the pool, even though I don't want to, because gee, it felt so good in the water, moving through the water and the sensation of my body moving through the water and so on. Um, so if you can experience it, then it can be, be a motivator because it feels good. And then what you can be high wrote about that I really like to, so I'm glad you asked me this question. Um, I like to, to share is that he said something along the lines of flow is important for the present moment experience it provides. So that's one reason. And it's also important because it enables us to develop skills to make significant contributions to humankind. So it's, it's key to us creating investigating discovering furthering knowledge you know and he's one of the books he's written is called creativity and in that book he interviews um people that have achieved amazing things including nobel prize winners in different fields and and how flow underlies their creative process so what i'm saying is that flow is important for the experience it provides but it also if flow is something that becomes an important part of our lives, that we want to experience that, then we are by definition open to challenging ourselves and to developing skill and to learning and to growing. And then um, over time and with the appropriate skills and appropriate opportunities, then we can make significant contributions. And so that's, that's like a, a higher level reason that yeah, flow is important. That's sensational. On the complete flip side, can you, can you experience flow doing an activity that you kind of got to do, but you don't really enjoy? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So 
that's been looked at as well. Uh, work settings. Yeah. So people tend to not view work as something they want to do, but something they have to do. I mean, that's kind of like what work can be defined as, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and yet, if you are involved in um, meaningful work, there'll be challenges. And and therefore, you can always be upping that challenge skill balance. and, And often just the nature of the work means that there's time demands, there's quality control demands, there's demands from multiple people, whether that's clients or customers or um, fellow employees or bosses or whatever. So generally work is challenging um, and um, therefore it's, it's another environment where we can experience flow. But we tend to still, the research that's been done looking at flow in work, people report experiencing flow frequently at work and they also report that they'd rather be doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I guess that's one that, yeah, if, if work is a necessity in life for you, um, which for most of it is, most <laughs> of much. us it is a necessity, then changing your outlook on it might help you to change how you view it, you know. Yeah, and how you experience just, it. Yeah rather than this is I have to get up and go to work mm. today. It's uh, ah, I've got this challenge in front of me today and yeah. I'm going to bring these skills to it and, and see what, what can come of it. Yeah. Sensational. So this has been so much fun. Yeah. If, likewise. I've enjoyed it. If, um, if people want to find out more about you and your work, <laughs> how can they find you? Yeah. So my website is bodyandmindflow.com.au. And that, um, that name I came up with um, quite some time ago, um, I guess to make the, the point that um, I see it's important if, if there's a physical component to what someone does that you're looking at both the physical and the psychological, so body and mind flow. Uh, so my email address then becomes quite long. It's sue at bodyandmindflow.com.au. <laughs> So whenever someone asks me for my email address, I'm like, okay, get a pen. I <laughs> uh, didn't think about that detail. Um, but on Facebook, it's also Body and Mind Flow. I've got a small Facebook page presence. And then um, more recently started an Instagram page as well, profile, and that's Sue Jackson underscore flow. Cool. So we'll people make can sure. reach me in any of those Awesome. Places underscore flow we'll have all of that in the show notes oh, for, for ease so people don't have to type in yeah. <laughs> all the long words yeah exactly it's pretty straightforward <laughs> awesome well to to finish this off for anyone who's listening what are some steps that we can take to learn to get into flow I think bringing an awareness to where your attention is in whatever activity it is that is your chosen activity. So generally I think we start if we're wanting to experience flow or understand it more, start with an activity you enjoy doing and you've got some skill at just bring a level of awareness to it, to what am I experiencing? Where is my attention? And then 
to the side of that as well. If, if you decide that you want to get better at training the mind, then doing some mindfulness some meditation, um, whether that's through formal programs, through working with someone in the area, many apps can help as well in terms of helping to, to train mindfulness um, so that you just become more aware when you're not in the present moment. And then when you have that awareness, then you've got the control to, to determine are you gonna, what are you going to do with your attention now? Okay, and what are you going to do with your attention now? So this next step. And it's, it's that constant monitoring that's going on in the background to the point where when you're doing the task, you might not have to do that monitoring, but in the early stages, there might need to be, you know, it's a bit of a more deliberate process going on. And, and, um, and then I think another thing is uh, to enjoy what you're doing. So I'm talking about an activity that people freely choose, you know, start with an activity you like doing just remember why you're doing it and and what you enjoy about it and um and let go of some of the pressure that you might be putting on yourself and um of the self-criticism that that might be involved and see if you can drop some of that and just get more engaged in the task those would be some good starting points Absolutely. Sensational. Sue, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's oh, been very enjoyable, Jackie. Thank you for your questions and for the opportunity to talk about flow. I always like to be able to, to share about flow. I think it's a wonderful state that we can all benefit from understanding, you know, that it's there, which is what I did, you know, when I first learned about it. I'm like, oh, wow, there's actually a state that describes exactly. this time, you know. It's not, Me just too. <laughs> a, it's not just this random thing that I was lucky that day. It all fell in place. Like yeah. there's something I can do about it. And then um, from there, from understanding that it exists, that, that there's stuff that you can do to make it more likely to happen. Yeah, definitely. Must share that with everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. That was Dr. Sue Jackson. I had so much fun chatting with her. If you want to learn more about the flow state, check out the show notes with her website and her Instagram handle. And of course, get your hands on the book Flow in Sports. If you want to get the competitive edge, then you want to get into your flow state. And that is the book that will teach you how. And if if you're not into sport, that's cool as well because... As we mentioned, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi has the book Flow and that one teaches you all about obviously uh, flow itself as a state, how to get into it and, and why you should be getting into it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know what you think. Let me know if you've experienced the flow state. I uh, I definitely have. Well, I mean, I have and I didn't realize it at the time. But now looking back on it, there's so many times I've, uh, you know, in my dancing days where I've been learning choreography and dancing away and just been like, oh, the, the song's done. We're, the routine's finished. <laughs> So it's it's definitely a state that uh, I certainly want to be experiencing more of in life. So uh, get your hands on the, those books and let me know how you go. 
Thank you for tuning in. As always, it is an honor to have you listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends, start talking about flow. And if you can subscribe to the channel, help a girl out. And most importantly, have an awesome day, week, month and year. And here is to a world of bodies built better.